Welcome to How to Talk to Kids About Anything with Dr. Robin Silverman, a podcast loaded with practical tips, powerful scripts, personal stories, and simple steps to make even the toughest conversations easier. So get ready to get the information you need to make the impact you want from someone you trust, your friend, parenting expert, Dr. Robin Silverman. Hello and welcome to How to Talk to Kids About Anything, where we give you the tips, scripts, stories, and steps to make even the toughest conversations easier. I'm so honored to be your host, Dr. Robin Silverman, child and teen development specialist, author and speaker, and most importantly, parent of two great kids who give me the opportunity to love, learn, and grow every single day, whether I want to or not. Believe me, I get it. It's not always easy, but we're in this together and we have some great people helping us along the way. Now, what is Zen parenting? Zen, according to Kathy Kasani Adams, is about showing up for every aspect of life to do our best, to be self-aware, attentive, evolving, always seeking to gain a deeper understanding of ourselves and others by accepting who we are and showing up in this world authentically and ready to learn. By doing this as parents, we give our children permission to do the same. Now, as people that are all here for the same reason. We want to understand how best to talk to our kids about anything, all the things that matter. We can apply this philosophy to our conversations from identity to inequality, race to sexuality, gender, and mental health. This again, all takes self-awareness and the process of unlearning some lessons that we may have regarded as truth as one point, but that either we know now are untrue or that the power over us no longer serves us if it ever did. For a discussion of Zen parenting and how it interacts with how to talk to kids, we are all turning to Kathy Kasani Adams. Kathy Kasani Adams, LCSW, co-hosts the Zen Parenting Radio podcast and is author of Zen Parenting, Caring for Ourselves and Our Children in an unpredictable world and living what you want your kids to learn the power of self-aware parenting. That is a book that won uh, a Nautilus award, a national indie excellence award and an international book award. She is a clinical social worker, certified parenting coach, former and elementary school educator and yoga teacher, Kathy teaches in the sociology and criminology department at Dominican University. And she lives outside of Chicago with her husband, Todd, and her three daughters. So welcome, Kathy, to How to Talk to Kids About Anything. Thank you, Dr. Robin. I'm so glad to be here. Well, I'm excited to have you. Before we jump into all this great information, for those who haven't had the opportunity to meet you or read your books or visit your website, can you tell us what gets you up in the morning and what sent you on this path to talking about Zen parenting? Well, this, this discussion we're about to have is what gets me up in the morning. Um, I, I, when I think about myself from like uh, junior high or maybe more like early high school on, these are the questions that I have been asking myself. Um, obviously, when I was younger, I didn't have a lot of answers to it. I don't even really know if I do now, but I have more of a greater understanding of what I'm trying to achieve, which is 
understanding of emotional intelligence, um, relating to mindfulness, understanding what that means, being present for ourselves and others, um, self-compassion, all of these things that I think we used to kind of refer to as soft skills, mm. which I have come to understand to be the skills we need to survive, relate in the workplace, um, to, you know, when it comes to parenting, for sure. So these topics that we're discussing and the same ones you discussed, Dr. Robin, are the things that wake me up every day. So in your book, you align a lot of your lessons to chakras. Can you just tell us a little bit about that, what that means and why you did that and why it's important? Yeah. So when I was, when I decided to write this book, you know, I've been a therapist for over 20 years. I've done this, you know, podcast and parenting radio for about 10 years and, or 11 years now, actually. And I was trying to figure out how to bring together so many ideas and concepts in one book without overwhelming people, without being like, here's all the things you need to know. And someone would get 50 pages in and say, wait, too, you know, too much information at once. And so I was like, how can I organize this in such a way where people can see this as not, not linear steps or stages, but like aspects of ourselves that we can tap into at different times. And although I am trained in a Western model, I'm a clinical social worker and I, you know, teach social work students. I'm also a yoga teacher and I'm very interested and I practice more Eastern techniques like mindfulness and, uh, you know, meditation. And as I said, the practice of yoga and chakras is a big part of that understanding the energy centers in our body. And there's seven of them. Um, for people who are interested in chakras, there are books out there that explain them so eloquently and so in depth. And what I used instead of going into, you know, too far into understanding the energy in the body is I used them as a structure to organize these ideas when it comes to parenting. So just as one example, you know, starting with chakra one, which is kind of our, you know, it's our sacrum, it's how we root, it's a sense of grounding, it's a sense of belonging. And that's the first chakra. So I talked about things like belonging and self-understanding and, you know, relating to the earth and relating to um, other people. So I used it more as a scaffolding. So for people who are not interested in chakras and they're like, that doesn't mean much to me, I still think the book might be an interesting structure for people to kind of see all the aspects of what it means to be human. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I really resonated with even the just the beginning of your book. And in the beginning of your book, you talk about embracing dignity. Mm -hmm. You quote our friend Rosalind Wiseman, who's been on the podcast several times. She's a friend of mine. She's just de delightful. And she was, talks a lot about dignity, obviously, because she has uh, her, her whole thing. It's on cultures of dignity. So it's about how we can offer that dignity to our children as well as ourselves. And you talk about how if our children provide a different view from what we have, which is actually very common these days. I mean, as kids are getting educated about the world in a very global way, earlier, more easily than we ever did, we sometimes think of it as you mentioned in the book as talking back or being sassy. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned that our reactivity to this can be an indicator of unrecognized or unresolved pain. So what is your message to parents who are listening right now or teachers who are listening right now 
And they're encountering this, this feeling like the kids are having a different view. They're butting heads with them. And it's really frustrating. There may be very important topics like sexuality or race or social justice or even screen time. So what should we say or do when we do disagree with our children and feel triggered to say, don't talk back to me? Yeah. Well, first of all, I want to acknowledge what you just said. Doesn't Rosalind have the best name, Cultures of Dignity? Yeah, it's wonderful. I know. I was like, I would love to steal that. I just love (laughs) it because it like encapsulates everything. (laughs) Yes. Like, are you really using that? (laughs) Could I borrow that for a little bit? Um, But I love that language and, you know, and I love her framework. And, you know, to answer your question, I think the first thing to remember is they're supposed to have a different perception. That's kind of the whole point. Like when we're raising children, the goal is to not make them like us or to teach them how to be like us or live in our generation um, or be our peers. We are engaging them in the present day. We are engaging them in their world and who they are and that they came in as a certain person, again, I understand they can learn and be educated and have their life experiences that add to who that person is. But I know, you know, I have three children and they're all very different people. They grew up in this home. Todd and I are their parents. They went to even the same schools, you know, all of them followed right after each other and they are very different people. So our goal as parents and as educators and as people who are coaching them and just, you know, helping raise them, Our goal is to help them become who they are. So what that means is they're going to have viewpoints that might differ from ours. Now, that doesn't mean we can't add our perspective, add some of our own experiences if they're asking for them, Um, but to be able to listen to them and to acknowledge their experiences thus far, how they see the world. And actually, I learn so much, not only from my own children who I'm with all the time, but my college students, you know, the, the student, the social work students I'm teaching, they're engaging me and their experiences and their world. And it, it opens up my world. So I see and experience things different. So I see this as a back and forth with our kids and the idea that our kids having a different perspective is somehow, you know, that we should be offended by it is kind of the opposite of what the goal is overall. Mm. Yeah. And of course, as we are opening up discussion and growing, we also are connecting. Obviously, yes. when we put put it on our kids, like, don't talk back to me or our students don't talk back to me. We're shutting things out. We're shutting things down. I was thinking about when I was reading this and I made a note in the book when I was reading it. Of And I do this a lot because, you know, when you have interviews, just just because you have a podcast too, you have interviews and you start to like see relationships between different people, even if, you know, it's not maybe as obvious to other people. But Mm -hmm. I had interviewed uh, Ron Deal, who works with Gary Chapman and um, on the the love languages. And one of the areas that he really concentrates on are are blended families and step-parenting. And one of the things that we talked about was that feeling of, of lack of connection sometimes in families where divorce has happened. And now, you know, there's, there's sort of new family aspects being formed, blended families, you know, a new uh, parent is coming in and, 
and that feeling of how do we bridge that gap? Mm-hmm. Um, and there's so many feelings that are happening right then. The child is, is, is frustrated and, and may have a loyalty bind where they feel like they are wanting to, to remain connected, let's say with their mother and they're now visiting or not, I should not say visiting. That is a, not a good word to use, but I should say they are now in their father's home. There's another parent now, the, uh, the bonus parent or step parent. And the step parent has said to, to Ron, well, I, I really want to make this connection, but there's this loyalty conflict and how do I connect with this person? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and not feel like, you know, that they're talking back or talking bad about me or shutting me out or, or saying something mean. And he was saying that, you know, when you're in the car with this child that you can say, I, I know that this is, this must be really hard for you. And I want you to be able to talk about your feelings. I want you to be able to express this. I'm, I'm not trying to take the place of your mom. I'm, I, I want to form a different relationship with you, but the fact that you feel differently than I do, and I think you're really a great person and here's what I like about you. But I, the fact that you feel differently than I do, that's okay too. And hopefully we can work on this together. It just, made me think of that because you so eloquently talk about this need for opening up a connection through talking and not shutting down the conversation by saying things like you're talking back and then it doesn't go any further. Do you see that connection as well? Oh, a hundred percent. I love that example that you used. And I, it's why this book And really, you know, everything Todd and I talk about on the podcast is really about us as the adults, as the parents, as the caregivers, not because, you know, it's obviously we want to learn more about the kids and listen to what they have to say and acknowledge, you know, what it means to parent. It's all of that. But if we don't have clarity, if we don't have self-awareness, if we're not intentional, and, and at least have an understanding of why we're saying what we're saying, why certain things offend us, what our history is. If we don't have at least, and again, that's ever-changing and ongoing practice. It's not like we come to a day where we're like, I, I got it. But if we have an understanding of ourselves and why things trigger us, then it's so much easier to have that conversation with a kid because we're not looking through the lens of, are you acknowledging me? Are you understanding my feelings, kid? Are you, you know, that's offensive to me because I'm scared of, you know, this new relationship or I'm afraid you won't love me. But if we're bringing all of that baggage to a conversation with children, they may not be able to identify it with words, but they can feel it. They feel the weight of that. They feel the heaviness that this adult in front of me may have, they're not clear about what they need, or I'm worried about what they think, you know, what I'm supposed to offer here. And when we, as the adults are able to arrive in a conversation, like the one you just described in the car with with putting down all of our weapons, with having a sense of, you know, vulnerability and openness and ability to hear anything, even if it's a hard thing to hear, like, you know, I'm not super happy that my parent got married, or this is really hard for me. And I wish that my family was like it, you know, the way it was before being able to hear that without thinking that, that, that you're being attacked, but instead you're hearing the experience of this child that you care for 
in front of you, it makes all the difference in connection because that's when that person feels validated. That's when that person feels like you get it. Like, even if you have never had their experience, you're willing to hear it and be present for it. And that's where intimacy happens. That's where connection happens. That's what trust is to me. I think that's just incredible. I, I love that we're having this really nuanced conversation and the people can then apply it to wherever. In your book, you also, you talk a lot about inequality yeah. and it's a very sensitive topic right now. You quote the, the book, So You Want to Talk About Race, and it, it tells us you have to get over the fear of facing the worst of yourself. You should instead fear unexamined racism. Do not fear the opportunity to do better. And you point out that groups that experience oppression, that they don't have the luxury, you say, of, of just not talking about inequality. So what are the main messages that you feel we should be talking about when it comes to inequality? Inequality as it relates to, it could be gender or inequality when it, it comes to race, knowing that many people aren't talking about any of this at all beyond, as you say in the book, we're all the same on the inside. And that's that. So what are we supposed to be doing about that? You know, again, it, it because this is, I'm a social worker at, at heart. So this is like, this is the discussion that I love is the noticing, the noticing of what's happening around us, you know, noticing the differences between people, not just on the outside, not just the color of our skin, not just, you know, our culture or what we wear, but like, what opportunities do people have? Why, what is the history of why people are where they are? It's the noticing is the key to compassion. Noticing is the key to our own self-understanding. And it's not about that. This is where this conversation can get really difficult because a lot of times then we result or we, we go back and we decide to feel guilty or we mm -hmm. feel bad or we feel like we shouldn't have what we have or we view even this word privilege that we've been using you know, for the last couple of years more commonly you know, we're using the word privilege almost like it's a negative thing versus if you have privilege, how do you then choose to use it? Like if you have, um, you know, if it's a socioeconomic type of privilege is if, if it's a privilege in that you can, um, that your marriage or your, you know, partnership or your, um, parenting is more widely viewed as typical, you know, versus same sex parents often run into issues in, you know, if it comes to schools or if it comes to certain communities, like if you have a privilege, how do you use it? What do you speak up for? What do you, how do you recognize that everybody everywhere wants the same things, meaning to be connected, to be loved, to belong, to be seen, and that this fear that we have of each other or this belief that someone that doesn't look like you have the same desires you do, uh, even, you know, have the same kind of job you do is somehow completely different than you are. So it's kind of this really paradoxical nuanced conversation because, you know, I'm saying in the book, like, don't just talk about the outside or don't just say, oh, we're all the same on the inside because there are differences in our upbringing and in our experiences and how we relate to the world. But at the same time, do understand that the person, the, the person that you, you know, I, I, let me say it this way. I talk a lot about Brian Stevenson because he's had a big mm. influence on me as far as like understanding proximity. 
And that if you have had experiences with people who are transgender or identify as gay or lesbian or bisexual or, um, you know, experiences with somebody who is African-American or Asian, you recognize that this, that we're all the same. This is all the same. We're all looking for the same thing. We're all having the same internal experiences. We all want to love our children. And that proximity is what brings us together. Mm -hmm. It's what we, it's, it's how we recognize ourselves, first of all, and how we're able to care and honor. And again, this big word we were talking about with Rosalind have dignity, you know, our dignity living in our integrity and then offering that same dignity to others. It's a, it's an ongoing conversation because there's always something changing in the news, in the world, but I can't think of a more important thing as far as making our children or allowing our children to become global citizens. And so is the lesson there to make sure that we do get proximal and be make sure that they are are exposed to a lot of people and if they are not as as you talk about in the book you know when you're when a, a parent is sitting down reading a book with a child even a picture book that shows different levels of uh, different types of diversity or whatever that it's it's a conversation starter don't just read the book and let it speak for themselves Absolutely. And I, what I use with my girls, and again, we started this when they were younger, but they're now all teenagers is let's talk about what's going on in the world. Let's talk about the news, you know, for, I'll start with what you said, Dr. Robin, with the, you know, as far as books and media, making sure that we are centering diversity, that we are centering people of color, that we are acknowledging not just the history and the challenges, but also just people who look different from the us who are experiencing everyday joy and familyhood and connection. You know, we're not just talking about people's oppression and challenges. We're also talking about how we're all the same. It's both. But the news is a wonderful way to maintain conversation, especially if we have traditions like we all spend dinner together or, you know, on vacations or when we're in the car together, what is going on in the world? And I don't do as much like, let me teach you kind of things with my girls. I often ask them, what are you hearing? What do you think? How do you see that? I, I use kind of more of a curiosity lens. And then if they're really off on something or they have learned something at school or you know from peers or something about history that I could give them my input from that perspective, I do that. But I, it's interesting what we were just, you know, when we're talking about teens and even kids in middle school and, and younger, sometimes they have a lot of information. They have, uh, their hearts are very open. Their, their minds are very open and they tend to be, to me, the best teachers. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I agree with that. I've learned a lot from my kids as well. And at this point they're 13 and 11 and a half. So they yes. have a, a lot of uh, opinions and they're getting a lot of viewpoints at school and online and otherwise. And one of the topics I would say that I've certainly discussed with my kids a, a number of times I feel like I've grown a lot in this one regard, because you mentioned in your book, you talked about Bonnie Ruff. I, I interviewed Bonnie Ruff and a variety of other experts who discuss sex and sexuality openly. They write books about it. I totally admit when I first started my podcast in 2017, 
I felt like I wanted to hide under my desk when I first had my, like my first episode on how to talk to kids about sex. I hadn't yet like really delved deeply into that conversation beyond, you know, the body parts and all of those things. It was, it was like the first time that we were really, really getting into it. And my first one was with uh, Dina Alexander of Educate Empower Kids. And I pressed her to talk about some pretty delicate topics and, and she handled it like a champ. I was kind of jumbled up inside, um, but I put my big girl pants on and did it anyway. Um, it was, it was within about a month or two that my daughter popped the question, uh, but how does the baby get in there? And I felt extremely prepared. Like I was just so grateful. And we know from research that parents have a profound effect on kids and how they regard sex. And still many don't discuss it or they wait. I had so many conversations with different parents in passing that said, no, I have not had that conversation yet because they don't need it because my child is only 12. My child is only 13. My child is only nine. I've heard all of it. So what do you feel are the messages that we must relay to our kids about sex and sexuality in this day and age, given your vehicle of Zen parenting? Yeah, I'm actually, I love this conversation because I'm actually a sex education educator and I, awesome. um, I teach fifth graders and then I teach eighth graders and I often end up teaching the same kids because I go to, you know, the same school. So like, you know, I add them in fifth and then I get them in eighth mm-hmm. and What I will tell parents is that if you are not offering information, your kids are going to get it from their peers and their peers don't know what they're talking about. It's so true. The kid in the back of the bus is always like the thing that I say, like, do you want to, do you want your kids to hear it from you or from the kid at the back of the bus? Because he has no idea what he's talking about. A hundred percent. And then (laughs) they also, once you do try to have the discussion, they think they know more than you because they have watched euphoria and they have seen something about porn. You know, they've, they've, you know, downloaded something, you know, there's all of a sudden they believe they have more information than their parents. And, you know, I think the first thing to remember is that sex, sex and sexuality is not just about the act of sex. It's not just about sexual intercourse. It's about our developing bodies. It's about understanding relationship. It's about how we feel about our bodies. There's a big self-awareness piece there and a self-development and like a relating to our body and not feeling ashamed of our body and feeling that we can look and we can, you know, relate and have the information that we need to understand how our body works. And then that goes hand in hand with what kind of relationships do we want? How do we feel treated kindly? How do we feel respected? It's these things are like all these moving parts that come together to form a healthy relationship. And when, you know, when I ask parents, because I also do, you know, parenting workshops about sex education. And my first question is often, um, what is it that you want your kids to know about sex? Mm -hmm. What do you want them to know? And so often, even though this has increased over the years, parents stare at me and they're like, I haven't even thought of it yet. Mm. And that's a problem too, is if we don't know what we want to teach, then our message will obviously not be relayed. (laughs) You know, it's just an obvious answer there, but if we're unclear that we don't really know what we hope for our kids, Mm -hmm. then we're not going to be able to share that hope, you know, and 
So just that's like a starting from scratch places. I I love Bonnie Ruff's book and I'm envious that you have talked with her because oh, it, was she's so, fabs. it was fantastic. And yeah. just that understanding that if we look at sexuality and sex as a normal part of what it means to be human, we are born sexual beings. Mm-hmm. And even that statement sometimes makes people uncomfortable. Yes. Yes. But we are, yeah. this is not something we can avoid. It's not something we can say, well, my kid's not going to be sexual. <laughs> and, and I don't mean like, I mean, even when they're adults, like, of course, what do we want for them? We mm-hmm. want them to have a healthy right. sex life eventually. And we want them to be able to relate to themselves in a self-appreciating, not depreciating way. So it necessitates early conversations. And and I know it can be confusing because people always say in a child developmentally appropriate way. And everyone's like, oh, what does that mean? Mm -hmm. But you just gave a perfect example of your daughter asked you, Mm -hmm. you got the question and you felt prepared. So so nice. Isn't that, you know, and even, (sighs) and when we don't, like when our kids come to us and we don't feel prepared, it is okay to say, you know what? that question is amazing. And I really want to offer, offer like a thoughtful response. So let's talk about that tonight. And then yeah, and let me just go and listen to Dr. Robin's podcast on how to talk to kids about sex. Actually, <laughs> let me just tune into that one. <laughs> exactly. And, yeah. and again, it's why this book is very focused on the parent rather than, Hey, do this with your kids. It's more focused on what is your history? Because Dr. Robin, I'm sure you get this a lot too. Like I work with women as a clinician and a lot of women I work with have have sexual trauma. Yeah. They have challenges. They have a history or they didn't get the discussion. You know, I have so many, you know, women who show up in my office and say, uh, nobody talked to me about sex and I am fine. And, and I turned out fine yet. I, I have that note, like literally in front of me, yes. like, how do you deal with that backlash? Yes. Yes. And they are telling me they need help now in their you know middle age. Yeah. So it's just, it's one of these things where I don't know if we can ever make it completely, um, comfortable, but we can live in a little bit of the discomfort, understanding that there's a dividends come from these conversations. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the last thing I'll share about it is we know, and this is research. This is not just us saying this, that children who grow up in a home where sex is discussed, it's an open ongoing conversation. It's not just one are more likely to wait to be sexually active. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know this. Yeah. You know, it's, it's an interesting thing. I, when I think back to the conversation that I did have with my daughter, and obviously I've had conversations with my son as well, but the first major one that I was alluding to before I had talked, yes, both to Dina, Dina Alexander about how to talk to kids about sex, but I'd also recently come off of talking to Richard Weisbord, who is from Harvard and making Karen common, but he was talking specifically about misogyny and consent and, and so many other related messages about relationships, romantic relationships, and really, yes, pressing that same question. Like, what do we really want our kids to, to learn about this? So in our conversation, of course, we went over mechanics and, and, and how things worked, but that was a very small portion of what we talked about. The conversation wound up very much in that place of talking about um, romance and love and connection. And I remember my daughter 
talking to me about uh, like trying to parcel in like, but who would you do this with? You know, and we were talking about how how connected you can feel with a person who loves you for who you are and who you love for who they are in a, in that special way. And, and also understanding because she asked me, does it hurt? I'm like, you know what? It can, mm-hmm. if you're with somebody who doesn't respect you, who isn't being kind to you, who you don't have these feelings for, it can hurt very badly. It can hurt you physically and it can also hurt your feelings. Mm -hmm. But when you're with somebody who you really want to be with, who you love more than anything, who you feel connected with, it can be beautiful and feel wonderful. And that is something I truly remember from that conversation. And I truly hope that she retains that information throughout time. I'm so grateful that that was part of our very first conversation. Exactly. And because she's hearing it from you and there's so much truth in it, meaning that I'm going to be honest with you about this sex as a whole is Mm -hmm. all dependent on how we feel about ourselves, Mm -hmm. how we feel about the person we're choosing to partner with, Mm -hmm. how we feel about the choices we're making. Are we making them for ourselves or for another reason? There's so many variables and answering, answering these questions, honestly, you know, without the, like the glossing over, you know, kind of like when we were talking about race where we say everybody's the same and it's Mm. this big blanket with sex. It's there's so many elements to it. And, you know, as you know, Dr. Robin, you know, a lot of kids, you know, a lot of the kids I'm working with who are very young are using porn as tutorials. Yeah. And it is a, it's very unfortunate. And it's a whole nother discussion that I'm sure you've had with other people. And, you know, we won't go too far down this road, but we as parents have to get in the way of that. We have to offer because we can say, oh, I'm going to put all these, you know, you were just saying before, you know, we have a mutual friend, Devorah Heitner, who talks, you know, about screen wise, and we can put parental controls in place. We can do all those things, but it doesn't mean our kids won't see it. We can't, we can't be there for every single moment of their life. So we want to talk about porn. We want to talk about that. That isn't really a relationship. That is a fantasy most often of men. Um, you know, and I know there's female porn out there created by, you know, women. Um, but their majority, vast majority is fantasies of men and they're always upping it. Meaning Mm -hmm. one, if an idea gets old, then they move on to another idea. That's often very violent, misogynistic. And this is why, like with my girls, you know, right now I brought up euphoria before here's a show that a lot of teenagers are watching and they talk about these things the the kids who are having sex, there's a lot of porn elements incorporated into the sex they're having. And Mm -hmm. so to have an understanding of these shows, these, you know, I use, I'm a big pop culture person. So I use a lot of media in my teaching and even in my parenting and talking about the same questions. What do you think about that? Mm. You know, is that what is, is that what you believe sex to be, or even just countering it right away? That's not what uh, sexual Mm -hmm. connection is, you know, but this is the discuss. These are the ongoing discussions you and I are referring to. Mm -hmm. Mm. Now, sex is one thing and it's something that we know I mean, I think we, we know we really do need to talk about, and we do have information about it a lot of the time, even though it's very uncomfortable. Gender, on the other hand, it has become a, a different thing these days. People are, are wildly and widely uncomfortable talking about it because the conversation has changed. Yeah. And, and it seems much more nuanced and complex. We have pronouns that we haven't considered. 
gender identities that we haven't necessarily known about until more recently. We finally have put words to different gender identity. Uh, we have a spectrum of LGBTQ identifiers. And there may be more questions that we have as parents than answers. So what do we need to consider when we're discussing gender, gender identity, gender norms with our kids so that we're not just pushing it off because it's too hard or we don't understand it, but rather meeting our kids where they are and, and embrace, embracing who they tell us they are and, and instead of what we expect them to be. Yeah. You know, this conversation is, it reminds me a lot of conversations around race in Mm -hmm. that I don't know if there's any way to have these conversations without them getting messy and with us making mistakes and saying the wrong thing, but doing that with an open heart and a willingness to get it right. That the intention when we may say something wrong or not have all the information is not because we want to harm, but because we're still learning and we're listening and we're, we're at least stepping out there to say, you know, how, how, does this feel? Or am I saying this right? Or at least attempting to have the conversation. Mm -hmm. And I think when it comes to gender, it's, it's very similar in that it's changing, it's changing fast, but in some ways, you know, the language I like to use instead is that it's opening. It's, Mm -hmm. it's Mm -hmm. becoming less, you know, rigid in its structure and it's opening and becoming more available to all, to everyone. I want to say to all of our kids, but really it's for everyone, Mm -hmm. you know, because I have friends my age now who are, you know, identify as non-binary and, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, who have come out, uh, they're transgender and Mm -hmm. were just able to do that in their thirties or Mm forties. And so this is something for all of us to be considering and understanding. And my advice always, because I have a few clients whose children are transgender. And so Mm -hmm. they've obviously been going through the process of becoming educated and there's, you know, I try to go to the source of the source, you know, I try and go to the human rights campaign and read about what's most, you know, what's most current as far as language, or even when it comes to legislature, you know, which we're dealing with right now in certain states, you know, what's happening so I can have an understanding, at least a baseline understanding of where things are and, you know, what language we're using, what, you know, how to use pronouns, what, what it means, what it, what the difference is between non-binary and transgender. It's just getting that baseline knowledge. So then when we are having discussions with our kids who I I don't know about you, but my children (laughs) have an openness and an understanding of all of this that surpasses me times 10. Oh, for sure. For sure. Right. I mean, and a comfortability with like, they're just, it's like a a non-thing. Because it's a non thing. Thank you. Yeah. Just a non thing. It's just, and they correct me, you know, Mm -hmm. like I, I, my daughter who's in college, my daughter, JC, you know, one of her professors this semester is they, them. And, Mm -hmm. and every once in a while I am talking about the professor and I say, she, and she's like, you know, my daughter's like, mom, they, you know, there Mm -hmm. is. And, and again, as parents, this goes back to your original question at the beginning, we can become offended or say it's too hard, but is that what we'd say to our kids when they were little, when they were learning something, would we say, Mm -hmm. yeah, you should just give up on this because it's too hard. (laughs) Like we, we are now in, as we should always be, I believe no matter what your age, you're a student, you know, you're in studentship, but this is our opportunity to expand. This is our opportunity to evolve and understand. And I think when we come at things like gender with fear, we are shutting something down that is, (laughs) non shut How do I say this? You can't. The, the genie's <laughs> you out can't. of the bottle. Yeah. Right. yeah. And this is, and it's beautiful. 
in that there are children who, and adults who have lived in a way where they have felt ashamed or quieted or displaced or unloved or misunderstood. And now there's this opening for them to live in this place of alignment and connection and authenticity. And why would we not want someone to have that? So if a parent said, okay, I'm hearing you. And I love that quote from Oprah. It's like, you know, if you don't learn the lesson now, it'll come, come to you again when like different pants. Right. I was like, I, I love that quote. It's just so true. Mm-hmm. Um, so if a parent saying, okay, I, I, I know I need to educate myself about this. And I do want to have my, this conversation with my, my children. So where might they start with that? You know, I, the places, and again, it's very simple for me to say, cause uh, you know, in social work, we're kind of talking about these things all the time, but I like to go to the people who know best, which are mm-hmm. the people who are having these experiences, right? So for example, the first place I go is there's a place that is it's, I think it's local, but it's called youth outlook. And it's this organization um, that's in Illinois and maybe other places, but I know it's in our community where they offer information, statistics, data in regards to the LGBTQ community. And it's, mm-hmm. you know, it's, one of the first places I look, I, you know, follow them on Instagram. You know, Mm -hmm. I, you know, I, I understand what they're putting out there. Like I said before, the human rights campaign, you know, following their information, their data, the, the, the podcasts and the blogs that they recommend, like, and then people with the lived experience, you know, I'm going to go to the media again, because this is what our kids will relate to. Um, you know, there are, you know, people who are famous, who are mm-hmm. transgender, who sure. are offering their experiences. Laverne Cox, she did this amazing podcast with Brene Brown probably about eight months ago. And there was actually a movie, um, a documentary that she was talking about. And I wish I could come up with the name, but, you know, listening to the lived experiences yeah. and the offerings that, because, you know, instead of me deciding that I'm going to kind of figure it out and, and share mm-hmm. it from my perspective, I really like to go to the perspective of the person who is living this and right. having them teach me how I can best continue to share the word. Yeah. My, my kids are obsessed with umbrella Academy Yes, and uh, Elliot page, Elliot page is, yeah. is such a good example of, of like using somebody famous who is, is living, living this truth and talking about it uh, as transgender. Uh, but I, I started really early with that uh, because my friend who I interviewed on this podcast, Jessica Herthel, wrote a book called I Am Jazz with Jazz Jennings, um, who is is a a famous transgender person who's an advocate and and an educator about all of this and and was interviewed with uh, with uh, 2020 Barbara Walters, like when she when she was four or something, you know, and then upward from there. And my friend Jessica wrote this children's book with her. Uh, I am jazz and, and just a, such a sweet book on what transgender means in a very simple way and a very accessible way, by the way, the book has been banned a bunch of times of for course. pornography for some, I, I don't, I cannot even believe it. There's no pornography in it. Literally yeah. none. Um, so it's, it's a, it's a really sweet book, but, um, because I'm friends with Jessica, we went to high school together she sent me the book when it was in galley form and I got to read it to my kids. Uh, actually my husband read it to my kids first. And, and so the conversation was 
you know, it was the book and we talked a little bit about it, but after that, when my kids met somebody transgender, they were like, oh, so like that person's like jazz. Yes. Like it was just like an easy you know, point that that my kids could be like pointing to and and they pulled it from. And then it was like a non a non issue again. Right. Just not a big deal. So mm-hmm. if you can start early, there's there are some great books out there that allow us to kind of piggyback um, a conversation in a little bit more depth if we if we want to. Would you agree with that? I would a hundred percent agree with it. And, you know, jazz is like a perfect, you know, example, because here is a girl who started so young being an advocate and speaking out, like, how can we not, you know, embrace that and respect that? And how many of us, even at the age we are, are willing to like, go out and say, this is who I am knowing that it's new and it's, and it's, and that there is going to be so much backlash. Like I, I just love Gen Z. I mean, and I love millennials too. And I love Gen Xers. It's not that, but there's this, this, um, sense of self-trust that I have never seen in a generation. And, and I think we've evolved to this point. I give all the, uh, all the other generations coming in credit for getting, you know, being the bridge to this experience, you know, but I just really believe that our kids, you know, we're talking about the Brian Stevenson proximity thing again, they are in school, you know, my, my children are already being exposed in every single way because they have kids sitting next to them who are transgender or non-binary or questioning, or, you know, they, they have grown up with kids who are their friends and they have known them since they were young. And there's that deep acceptance that comes when it's kind of like, you know, when we talk about kids learning a language when they're young and then it's just in them. And that's exactly how it is with proximity and meeting people that may not be exactly the same as us, but we're not supposed to be. Right. And yay to the parents, by the way, for allowing their kids to express themselves uh, as they are instead of, you know, our generation, which I'm sure, look, we, we, I'm sure we were sitting next to people who wanted to be expressing themselves in that way. And we're not able to. So uh, not, not that I'm blaming our parents in any way. It's just, it was just a different time. So, um, you know, when I'm presenting, one of the areas that I often confront is the way we do identify ourselves and, and just to kind of come from what we were just talking about and expand it a bit. I, I talk a lot about our personal I ams. So how we define ourselves and that can really have a big profound intra- uh, effect on our identity, our self-esteem, our behavior, how we are identifying ourselves. And you talk about the hero's journey in your book. Mm. And if we were to take our kids through this exercise using the hero's journey, because you say, I've had a lot of, you know, these hero's journeys throughout Mm. my life. How might you use that, that exercise of taking our kids through the hero's journey and, and help to help them kind of disrupt maybe a negative definition of self that they had. I am stupid. I am ugly. I, you know, I'm, I'm not good enough in every different way and somehow then help them to illuminate a more positive way of defining themselves. Yeah. I love this concept of the hero's journey. I love it, you know, in literature and I just love understanding it in our own lives. And that what, what I love about it is the acceptance that things will go wrong. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I know that's a really basic understanding, but 
I think we have this belief, um, especially as parents, that our kids are supposed to be on some linear trajectory and that they're just going to be happy and then happier and then happiest and then the happiest they've ever been. <laughs> and we forget that the whole thing about life is it's a lot more like a roller coaster or it's a lot more like waves or whatever analogy you want to use that's helpful to this understanding is that our kids are going to have tough times. They're going to have loss. They're going to have failure. They're going to feel pain. Um, and it is not our job to keep that from happening. Um, it is definitely our job, though, to show up and validate and, and, and listen and love when or after it has happened um, and to be there for their crisis, but not to necessarily you know, be that type of parent who keeps a crisis from occurring or who lies, mm. you know, who says things like, no, this isn't really happening or no, you're fine or you were right or, you know, and doesn't let a child have a struggle because the whole idea of a hero's journey is that it often takes pain or it often takes, you know, disappointment or challenge to get to be who we are supposed to be. It gets us to the next level. It opens up our brains on a new level. It opens up our hearts. Mm. We become a deeper human. That's what wisdom is, is I had this struggle. Here's the tools I used to get through it. Here's the people who loved me through it. And now I can see the world completely differently. And the more we have that experience, the more we relate to others who are having similar experiences or we understand their history a little better. We have deeper compassion first for ourselves and then we offer that to others. So, you know, the example that you just gave, like our kids who are really self-depreciating, you know, we can't we can't launch our kids on a hero's journey because we want to, but we can begin to help them question, is this are these the beliefs about yourself? You know, where did they start? Mm -hmm. um, you know, how does it feel in your body when you think that, you know, that's really rough. We can even offer our own experiences with those feelings. Like there was a time, you know, we can share things like, yeah, when I was your age, I remember feeling, um, you know, that I didn't belong. And again, I'm always really careful with this because I don't want us to think we can hundred percent relate to our kids' experiences because we are from different generations. Mm -hmm. And the things that they that they run across as far as social media and the pressures of the world and the 24 seven um, news that they get and just the fact that we've gone through a pandemic and now the war, it's not we're not living parallel lives, right. um, but we can dive into those feeling states with them and offer, if not advice, because they may not want it, a sense of connection in that you aren't alone. You are not the only one. I want you to know that there are new way, there are other ways through this. And again, depending on your personality and your kid and your kid's age, this is going to look different. So it's hard for me to give like one map, yeah. but just trusting that sometimes the things that are so difficult to sit in with our kids, those messy moments, those challenges are the things that catapult them to the next level of their self-understanding. I wonder if looking back at a struggle that your child has gone through and helping them to look at it in a different light, instead of it, instead of seeing it as merely the struggle, but as you were saying, looking at it as what did I gain from that? What did I learn? What tools do I have now? How do I see myself and how do I see other people through this could help them to then use that 
to define themselves in a different way. I mean, I'm wondering if we can kind of go retroactively because we can't launch our, our, our children onto the hero's journey, but we can highlight ones that they've already been through in kind of a different way. Would you agree? Oh yes. Beautiful. I love, I love that. I, I think the ability, you know, we're all storytellers, you know, we all love stories. That's how we understand our lives. It's how we relate to our history. We have these stories. So if we can offer that to our children, not, not a false story, not a narrative that isn't, you know, based in reality, but give them a picture of this happened and then you did this and then this happened and then you were able to ask for help. And then this was the really painful part, but then you, you know, and we offer them kind of this, this story around it so they can embrace it and see how they grew or how it got them to the next thing or how the thing they thought they wanted, if, if they had gotten that, then they wouldn't have had this experience. Mm -hmm. And it is, as long as we don't, um, as long as our kids are with us on it, you know, we don't want to be the the, the only curators of the story, we want to bring them into that experience. Like, how do you think this looked or who were the teachers that helped you? You know, we want to make sure they're involved in that storytelling. But I think that's the way if we give them that as a tool, then that's the way they view things going forward, where they have another experience that's challenging. And they say, you know, I haven't done this exact thing, but I have done this emotion before. I've done this journey. I've done this path. It's it's no longer a, you know, this forest. It's now there's a little bit of a path through that forest. And I see that there is a light. You know, mm -hmm. that's what we're trying to offer them is really, I think the word that keeps coming to my head is hope. Right. Right. So, I mean, I could talk about all of this all day with you, but I, I know that we are coming up to the top of the hour. So can you give us your top tip? What do you hope people come away with after listening to this podcast or reading your book so that they can approach parenting in more of this Zen parenting way? Yeah, I think based on the conversation we had today, I think the word that keeps coming to me is stay curious you know, not just about, well, let me say it this way. First, be curious about yourself, which is what this book is about. It's, it's a, it's a structure to kind of walk through your beliefs, your history, your awareness about yourself and, and being curious, not, this is not a self depreciating exercise of, Oh, I should have done that different. Or this is not a blame game. This is a, who am I? And, and why, and why am I here? And why do I make the choices that I make? It's, it's actually quite enlightening and it can be very joy filled. You know, I know we have to sometimes confront things that are difficult, but it can also, you know, when we feel in alignment with ourselves, it's a wonderful feeling. And that curiosity about ourselves, we then extend that to our kids. We, we stay curious about who they are rather than labeling them. You know, here's my athletic one. Here's my mm. smart one. There's not a lot of curiosity in those kind of distinctions. We, we want to make sure that we allow them to tell us who they are as they grow. And, and those may be parts of who they are, but they are not all of who they are. And then th that curiosity extends to the world, right? You know, all the things we talked about at the beginning about inequality and, and race and gender and sexuality. If we're curious about ourselves and we're allowing our children to be curious about who they are, then we're naturally curious about the world and there's less fear and less judgment and more connection. Mm. Beautiful. Give us the resource of the week. Where can we go to get more information about you, your book, and the work you're doing? I would send everybody to zenparentingradio.com. Um, there's a lot on there. There are podcasts is there. My husband and I, Todd, uh, Todd and I do this podcast called Zen Parenting Radio. 
And we've been, as I said, been doing it for 11 years. So there are so many podcasts mm. to choose from. Um, obviously my books and parenting that just came out. Um, I have a newsletter, the whole thing, but it can all be found at zenparentingradio.com. Excellent. Well, I want to thank you for coming on the show today and talking to us about your book and your philosophies and having this absolutely delightful and curiosity invoking, amazing conversation. I just was so interested in everything that you had to say. So I just appreciate you coming on and and talking about your insights and, and being here with us. So thank you. Thank you, Dr. Robin. And thank you for doing what you do. Oh, I appreciate that very much. Well, I've got my takeaways and sweet friends. I know you have yours, so let's discuss them. Come up on Facebook. You can go to the Dr. Robin Silverman page or let's chat about it, drrobinsilverman.com or twitter.com. I'm at Dr. Robin. I'm also on Instagram under Dr. Robin Silverman. And I'm going to be going back and forth with Kathy about all the things that we talked about then you can join in on the conversation. We'd love to hear what you have to say. And if you love this podcast like I did, I hope you'll go up to iTunes and rate and review it so others can learn about all of the things that we talked about today and learn about Kathy's work. I truly appreciate it. I cannot tell you how much these five stars mean to us because it gets the information out and it highlights the podcast. I truly appreciate it. That's all the time we have for today. My fellow parents, leaders, and educators, thank you so much for tuning in to How to Talk to Kids About Anything. For more information on books, articles, speaking engagements, or curriculum, please visit drrobinsilverman.com. There's so many great podcasts up there and the show notes to this podcast will be up there as well. So if you're running, you're going to the store, you're, you're driving in the car, don't worry. Everything that we have is up on the show notes and all the links that we've provided will also be in those show notes. I look forward to weathering the storms and enjoying the sunny side of life together. And please remember, even on the days when you fall short, you've got this. You're here, you're getting the information you need. I know it's not easy, but never forget we have tomorrow. Now, I often say that parenting is the ultimate do-over, and in so many ways it is, but also don't wait to have these conversations. The time is now. You never know when you have the opportunity. If it presents itself, take it, please. I see you, and I'm right there with you. And as there are moments when we doubt our know-how, our choices, and our sweet sanity, Please know you are 10 times the parent you think you are. Until next time, this is Dr. Robin Silverman with How to Talk to Kids About Anything. Please tune in again and keep connecting through conversation. See you next week. You've been listening to How to Talk to Kids About Anything with Dr. Robin Silverman. For more information on books, articles, speaking engagements, or curriculum, please visit drrobinsilverman.com.